hear God's word. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Read this far in God's word. In Paul's letters, we often see him using pictures of building, builders, what we call the trades today, the building trades, bricklayers, carpenters, painters. They're meant to show us how Christ is building his church. Spiritual lives of Christians together in the church is like an ongoing process of God constructing his church. We're being built by Christ, and we are also co-builders alongside of Christ, which brings us to my main point. Christ's church is like a building that needs a lot of contractors to work on it. Number one, Paul is skilled master builder, verse 10. Number two, Christ is our foundation, verse 11. And Christ's workers built on the Christ foundation, verses 12 to 15. So we start off in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon us. So the first thing Paul does in our passage is to acknowledge the grace of God. And look at this first phrase, according to the grace of God given to me. Uh, Paul knew that the 12 disciples of Jesus had received daily teachings from Jesus during his earthly ministry and that Paul later on, after Jesus' death, after Jesus' resurrection, after Jesus' ascension, and after Jesus' action from heaven to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us, then Paul was called. And Paul knew that he had missed seeing the earthly ministry of Jesus. So that's what Paul meant when he wrote later in chapter 15, verse 8, that he was like one untimely born. In other words, he's not born in time to see the ministry of Jesus in person. And Paul was the younger one, if you will, of the apostles. Born later, not himself an eyewitness of Jesus. So he acknowledges that fact. But there's another fact. Paul also acknowledged the fact that God has the prerogative to call people when and where God wants them to work. God gave grace to Paul, and Paul said that it was God who was the source of Paul becoming a later apostle to work right alongside of the other eyewitness apostles. And this all was God's doing. This all was God's gifting. It was by God's grace. It's all about God's calling, for it's his church, his building. It was God who summoned Paul it's all to reveal the humility of Paul in this initial phrase. Because the next statement he writes doesn't sound humble. Next statement, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. That doesn't sound humble. But when you attach the previous uh, phrase, you remember Paul wrote just prior, this is a humble statement. Paul wrote that he was like a builder by the grace of God. Paul's like a contractor. On the job, because God asked Paul to come there to Corinth to do this work. It was God's idea to start a church in Corinth. It was God's idea to call Paul to build that church. And Paul worked under God's authority at every moment. 
God was even the provider for Paul's own skills and abilities in doing so. Paul knew that the Corinthian believers were familiar with construction terms because of the sheer number of various religious temples that were always being built in their ancient city of Corinth. So he used construction terminology and called himself the master builder. We might today call him a general contractor. He's the person in charge of the entire work site, brought in for the task of constructing the worshiping body. He was a supervisor over a lot of other workers for God who we could refer to as subcontractors. And who today tells the electrician, the heating ventilation technician, the drywaller, what is the plan and the schedule for this job site? The general contractor does that. And in the ancient city of Corinth, there was a church of God's people being built. And how did it get there? How did it get within Sin City? Who was it that told the various missionaries, such as Silas and Timothy, the elders and other Christian workers in Corinth, what to do in order to advance and build up God's church on the job site in Corinth? It was Paul. Paul had that responsible position as an apostle on site daily to see and oversee the work where God is building a spiritual body of people. Paul had God's blueprint, if you will. We could even say that Paul was the architect. It's one of the words that Paul uses here. And the supervisor of the job site. He's even the one who got the work started in the first place. You know, if those of you who are in the trades, if the contractor doesn't show up, often the general contractor ends up doing it. So Paul is laying the first bricks, as it were, of the foundation. He gathered the first planning meetings. He set up the groundbreaking. Paul himself laid the foundation like a bricklayer. He got the work started initially in Corinth. It refers to the fact that he himself was a missionary who first came to Corinth, started first conversations with people about spiritual things, then gathered groups of people, what we would call a Bible study, and from there came to worship services of God together. He worked to grow the church alongside of elders and pastors whom God had also called So here in verse 10, Paul wrote this, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And that someone else is Apollos. That someone else is all the others that are around the church there building upon Paul's previous work, especially since he had left the city to do um, missionary work in other places. These Christians in Corinth were Paul's fellow workers. At the same time, they were God's fellow workers, which he had said back in verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. So Paul is saying that each Christian is a subcontractor, serving the purpose of the spiritual strengthening of the church. And he added one more statement now in verse 10. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So here Paul is talking about quality control. How each of the subcontractors, how each of his fellow workers works on the building, he's telling them to do a good job. He's setting out the work as the visionary apostle by reminding the others to adopt the work ethic of the main contractor on the job site. To take care, he says here in verse 10, means to do the work carefully. The the verb comes from to see. We might use the phrase to see to it, to pay attention to it, to do what they were doing carefully to watch what they're doing. We might use that phrase. Paul had previously explained this spiritual concept fully in his letter. Back in chapter 2, let them preach and teach Christ and him crucified, which brings us to verse 11. Second point, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul had laid a foundation. He reminded them. 
in verse 10. What foundation? Jesus Christ. Here in verse 11, he explained that not Paul or anyone else could lay a different foundation other than the foundation that was already set, which is Jesus Christ. How did Paul go about laying that foundation? Well, he came to Corinth and preached and taught about Christ and about him crucified. Remember chapter 2, verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So his analogy fits. Every building, every temple, every single building requires a solid foundation. And the word foundation is the emphasized word across this passage. Foundation. If a problem developed with a foundation, later it would affect everything else that was built upon it, but it's not the building of everything else on top of it that would be the problem. The problem was initially in the foundation. And the reverse is also true. If the foundation is good, the foundation is solid, then when a problem developed later above it, it must be because of poor building practices above it. So the first thing to check, Paul says, is the foundation. And since Paul's responsible for the building of the foundation, he's talking to them about the quality of the foundation. He's saying that he had done a good job getting things started off right in Corinth. So why would later problems develop as Paul departed? He says the foundation's solid, so it leaves only one conclusion. The only way that problems could have entered was because the later upbuilding efforts did not maintain Paul's motto, preaching Christ and him crucified. Paul was the first to preach the gospel in Sin City, known for its immorality. The believers in the Corinth church had always heard from Paul the message and the preaching about the righteousness of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God, right alongside of the message and the preaching about the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the gift of God, of the righteousness of Christ. So here in verse 11, Paul is simply reminding them that no one would be able to lay down a different foundation. In other words, no one would be able to take that group of people known as the church of God in Corinth who came together solely for the purpose of Christ and change that group to be gathered for any other different purpose. No way. It would never work. It cannot happen. He says in verse 11, no one can lay a different foundation. This group, we would maybe use the analogy of medically of the DNA of the group or the analogy of building, a foundation of the group is all Christ and him crucified. So he's reminding his fellow workers, the builders, the leaders, the Christians in the church in Corinth. What's his reminder? That none of them could teach and preach a gospel other than the gospel that Paul preached. They couldn't change the core message. Paul and his other apostles had received this message straight from Jesus himself, had proclaimed this message to both Jews and Gentiles, and they had handed it down to the next set, the next generation of subcontractors with a sacred deposit of one generation of godly persons handing it down to another generation of godly persons. So verse 11 is significant. We've covered that. We move to our third and last point. Christ's workers build on Christ's foundation. And this is where verses 12 to 15 unpack. Verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, 
but only as through fire. This is vision. It's vision of of what the church is. The, The main analogy here is building on the foundation, which equals building Christ's church on Christ and him crucified. It's vision. Every worker across the church has the same vision. You could, you could illustrate this. A, a man passed by a job site, and he sees two bricklayers laying bricks. So he interviews each of them. To one bricklayer, he says, what are you doing? And the bricklayer grunted in a grumpy sort of bricklayer sort of way. Can't you see I'm laying bricks? You could imagine that sort of response. The other, when he says, Mr. Bricklayer, what are you doing? Bricklayer looked up to the highest part of the building, and he put his hand up and asked the fellow to look all the way up. And he says, me and my team, we're building the best cathedral this church has, this city has ever seen. Who has vision? Every worker, Paul says, needs to have vision. A similar illustration, a young woman passing by, two young mothers asks each what they're doing. And one says, you know, another day, wiping drippy noses. <laughs> she asks the other one what she's doing. She says, I'm teaching a child to read for a lifetime. It's vision, vision about our daily tasks. What are we up to? What are we doing? It's a question of vision. Do we see what we're doing when we work in the church of God? Vision brings up the issue of quality of materials, which is his, his topic in verses 12 through 15. What sort of bricks are those? What sort of wood is that that just came in? What message are we giving to the men, women, and children of the church? Paul here wrote to anyone and everyone in the church in Corinth, It's not just to missionaries and not just to pastors and elders and teachers. It's applied to everyone across the church in Corinth. Whenever anyone does any work for Christ and his kingdom, we are actively serving the Lord and must ask ourselves, what spiritual resources are we using for this work? You could ask the plumber, are you pouring lead? What he means is, is that soil stack going up as PVC plastic pipe or is it going to be lead pipe? Which are you using for this building, asks the general contractor. The session here always wants to know what's being taught. In all of the studies, all across the church, whether they meet in the building or meet in a home, what sort of resources are we using to build Christ's church is centrally important. The point of Paul here is plain. The foundation is already laid. And so for Corinth to add and build, it must correspond to the foundation. What are they saying to people in their ministries? If they had one teacher teaching that Christ and him crucified and another teacher teaches it's all by our own efforts, well then they don't correspond. One is grace and one is by works. It has to match up. We build the church with things that withstand fire, Paul writes, such as gold, which is refined when fire comes close to it. It's made more pure the more fire comes close. The, the materials, the quality of the materials is at stake. Ladies, would you like to get an engagement ring of yarn? Why not? Because it'll wear out first time we do any task. You want an engagement ring that's of higher quality, made of gold perhaps, to show that you're building a permanent marriage relationship. The preciousness of the materials is Paul's topic here. The value of the resources, the quality of the materials that they use in all of the church must match the preciousness and value and quality of the resources used in the original foundation of the church in Corinth. 
The foundation was the body of Christ crucified for them, the blood of Jesus spilled for them. All the lessons, all the devotionals that we have in any of the ministries must have the same enduring truth as the foundation had, Christ, victim, and victor, Paul is saying. In every phase of kingdom construction, always, everywhere, the quality matches Jesus in quality. Only the best for the children in the church. Only the best for the elderly in the church. And only the best for everyone in between. Did they live by the word of Christ? Did they apply it to their daily problems? And they were starting to build the spiritual house with the same truth that built their salvation in the first place. So the hash mark at the end of verse 12 shows that in verse 13, Paul's interrupting his own discussion of the whole group doing quality building work and turn to the individual person doing building work. And the questions turn to each one to look at himself or herself so that in verse 13, Paul wrote that it would become manifest or become evident or obvious. That means if each person tested his or her own spiritual work of constructing for Christ whatever their role What would the test show about his or her work individually? If the answer was not made obvious in this life, then on the final day, when the fires of God's judgment would come, it will show which of the two possible products that have been used. Number one, hay, straw, or wood, which when fire is applied gets burned up. Or two, silver and gold, which when fire is applied gets refined and purified. And Paul was a general contractor in Corinth under Christ, the ultimate general contractor, of course, over his own worldwide church. And each person had to give an account for Christ for how and with what qualities building in Christ's church. The light of day, we call it. Uh, The light of judgment will show the truth about what each person was doing. What were determining factors in the testing process? The fires? Faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Christ within their hearts, things he'd been talking about for two chapters already. Then verses 14 and 15, the resulting consequence of the testing process. Two conditional sentences, if and if. As Paul's finishing the paragraph, this is the way to apply what he had been teaching, a test. What's the result of the test? Two possible results, a fail, pass-fail test, pass or fail, pretty clear. The first conditional sentence is verse 14, pass. The work of building that you've been doing survives the fire, passes the test, and is shown to be good work building on the foundation of Christ and him crucified. What happens if you pass the test? God promised five words at the end of verse 14. Are these ever precious? He or she will receive a reward. Let that work into our hearts and minds. What's the reward? Same as back in verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. The word misthon is the word for reward or compensation, wages, paycheck. It's a deep, deep principle of reciprocation for performance. Each person gets what he or she deserves. God notices, and God always pays his people back. He provides blessings for us. He's a fair employer in that sense. Don't forget what Paul wrote at the beginning of this paragraph, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, I laid a foundation. Paul's work is because of grace. All of us work because of grace. We don't work for a reward, and we don't work for that paycheck. However, God does bless the workers with pay for what he does. God shows himself to be a good boss. 
Over in chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes this sentence, Each one will receive his commendation from God. God gave good encouragement to each of his good workers. He's a gracious supervisor. How about this reward? One fine day, we stand before our Savior in person. For all of us, it's not many years from now. Jesus turns to you and says to you that your building work, the contract that I made with you, that I assigned to you, you took it up cheerfully, you completed it with vision, with good attitude, and you did it faithfully. You were happy to receive very little recognition on earth. You know what? I saw it all. I'm here to announce to you and to the saints of heaven, well done. Well done, my daughter, my son. By the foundation of my crucifixion, I invite you to enter into the joy of my eternal home and see all that I've done in multiplying your efforts. Work is over. It's time to rest and enjoy. Welcome home. Everlasting friends, that's the best reward there is. But there's more. We have one more verse, verse 15. This is Christians. Could be you. Let's say you had mixed motives. Let's say you were prideful and demanded attention or accolades. Let's say you were building your own little kingdom and lusted after power and influence. Let's say you were doing the right things, but instead inside you were grumbling and griping about it. Or let me put it starkly so we don't miss it. What if you sinned in your contract of building up the church of Christ? When we appear before Christ at the end, what then? Verse 15 is so clear. Our Lord is filled with mercy that he will not give you what your sins deserve. But do you think that the work reward system is broken in the house of God? That the pay for shoddy work can't be the same as for good work? When we sin, we miss out. If you have a bad attitude, we miss out on beautiful things that could have been ours in Christ. In addition, what about our salvation? It's ever so clear. Read it again, verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We're not just saved. We're contractors building the church. If we don't build the way Christ builds, and we won't build the way Paul builds, with humility and all by God's grace, and in a Christ-like way, then we can't expect the same kind of reward can we? But we can expect his mercy reaches to our souls, for he's faithful. What have we seen? Christ's work is like building a church that needs a lot of contractors to work on it. Paul was a master builder, worker, a skilled master builder. Christ is our foundation, and Christ's workers build on the Christ foundation. The conclusion is this. The church is built up by grace. It's all about Christ's grace through his foundation, through his people. No matter how much we mess up, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Preacher, Paul the Gospel Communicator, make sure we have something clear before we finish studying this paragraph. What's clear? Our salvation is not by works. Our salvation is by grace. No matter how much we as Christians mess up our assigned places of serving the church, our souls are kept safe by the protector of our souls. We lose some payout, but we don't lose our salvation. We don't lose our access to heaven and its streets of gold. We don't lose our eternal future of love, warmth, and genuine welcome from our magnanimous Savior, Jesus Christ. He says to each of us, My child, look at me. I am crucified for you. My grace is sufficient for you and your failings. There is a fire 
in the holiness of the final building inspection of God. All of our work will be burned up because honestly, we stink as subcontractors. But never, ever forget this one gospel truth embedded in this passage. God says, as my child, you're sweet to me. Come home. Welcome home. You belong here. I've placed you in my building, in my kingdom, in my church, in my family. You're part of the household of God. So come on home. Enjoy my gifts to you forever. My blood has purchased you. You belong to me. Let's never forget the church is built upon the foundation of Christ and him crucified, and it's built up with his grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the 